0: Well, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. Good, good. So there's a pl- there are plenty of tensions that exist within the Christian life. There's a lot of these things called paradoxes. All right? So let me give you a few. How is it that we are sinners and saints at the same time? How about this one? How is it that we have eternal life, but that we are also dying at the same time? How is it that God has given us victory over our enemies through Christ, but we look around the world and it's as if our enemies haven't gotten the memo yet? Well, according to Psalm 27, King David knows something of what we're talking about. This Psalm, number 27, really gets after the the, the tension that we experience as the baptized children of God who face the challenges of living in a sinful world to live as a as a Christian to live the Christian life means this it means that despite our circumstances it means to have communion with God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ it means to have fellowship with God. And that's what I mean by the word communion. I'm going to say that word a lot today, communion. And I'm not necessarily just talking about holy communion at the Lord's table. I'm talking about communion, fellowship, being in the presence of God. David, King David, had communion with God. He had fellowship with God. It's what he wanted more than anything in this life. And that's what he expresses in this psalm. It's why he was called The man after God's own heart. Even though David had great sins in his life, even though he had lots of problems in his kingdom and as a king, David was nonetheless the man after God's own heart. And so, as we walk through this psalm, you will see the the, the shape that your faith takes as you live in and from God's presence. The shape of your faith as you live in and from God's presence. And so what we're going to hear today is that communion with God produces confident faith and communion with God also produces humble faith. So these are going to address the two parts of the psalm here, confident faith and humble faith. We begin with the first few verses that show us that communion with God produces this confident faith. So it says this, it says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I fear. The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. So we see in these verses that David takes great confidence in the God of his salvation the one who has redeemed him, the one who has made him to be one of his own, the one who has established David's throne forever. His confidence is not in himself. It's not, this is not David giving us motiv- a, a motivational TED talk. David's confidence is not in himself. He's not trying to get us to have self-esteem. His confidence is in God's salvation. It's grounded in the person of God. And God's salvation is nothing less than the redemption of God's people. This boldness that David has, it it stems from his understanding that God is Lord. He is Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. What does that mean whenever we see those capitalized letters? That's, That's Yahweh. That is the covenant name of the God of Israel. The God of Israel who made promises to his people in the Old Testament and would never forsake those promises. So whenever David invokes that divine name, that name of Yahweh, he's appealing to God's covenant promises, to God's faithfulness. And the presence of God, David knows that the presence of God through the light of his word dispels all of the darkness and that it that it delivers salvation to all who believe. And because of this, David remains confident, even though he's surrounded by wicked enemies, the likes of which you and I can't even fathom. Though he is surrounded, he has confidence because it is the Lord, it is the merciful God who has steadfast love for his people. That God both delivers his people from destruction, and he pronounces judgment upon the wicked, upon evildoers. Now, in David's mind, there's nothing to fear because God protects his people. He will not be overcome by those who want to eat up his flesh or wage war against him. There are days in which you are assaulted at every turn by the world the flesh, and the devil. Those, these are your enemies. This morning you woke up, uh, you, you uh, rolled out of bed, or you stayed in bed, and you turned on the television, or you scrolled through your news feed, and you found two or three more reasons to be afraid in this world, didn't you? You're afraid about the future. You're afraid about what lies ahead for your family. You're fearful of how it's all going to work out. But you, you, like David, have something much more sure and certain to cling to. And it's not your newsfeed. You have the promises of the God of your salvation. Because you have been redeemed by Christ, because you have been made one of his own through the shedding of Jesus' blood, you have a God who is for you. And therefore. Nothing can stand against you. That's from the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 8. And because this is true of you, as you have been baptized into Christ, the character of your faith is strangely confident, even defiant in the face of evil. As we continue into verses 4 through 6, we see that this confident faith leads David to express his lone desire which we talked about with the kids. His lone desire is at the heart of this psalm. And this is the most important part that I want you to take away today. Here's what it says. It says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For He will hide me in His shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of His tent He will lift me high upon a rock and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. David only wants one thing and he will do everything that he can to get it. He wants to be in the presence of the Lord every day of his life. At that time in David's day, the primary place for the presence of the Lord was in his temple, or it was in the tabernacle before they built the permanent temple. That was where God promised to be for the sake of the salvation of his people. David's communion, his fellowship with God in the tabernacle was was where David derived his identity, his understanding of who he was and who God was and his life in this world. But this was much more than David just wanting to hang out in the tabernacle all the time. It it meant that he expected that God's presence would follow him wherever he went all the days of his life. Psalm 23, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. He, He expected not only to behold the glory of God in the tabernacle, but also, also in the life of the world to come when he would see God in the flesh. He had the promise of eternal life which flowed from being in God's presence where God spoke his word of salvation. Did you know that there is such a place now where you may inquire of the Lord, where you may inquire in God's temple, where you may gaze upon his beauty? There is a place where you may have communion with him where you may be confirmed in your identity, where you may understand your life in this world. A place that you can know for certain that God draws near to you in the person of his son Christ. A place where he comes to you through his means of grace. Those things to which he attaches his promises for your salvation. You know where it is? Right where you're sitting. It's in the church the gathered body of Christ. All we need, I'm glad you're all here this morning, but really all we need is two or three. We just need two or three and Jesus promises to come to us to lift our heads above our enemies to place us high on a rock. And it's, our, it's from our communion with him in worship that we go into our lives knowing that his goodness and his mercy follow us wherever we go into our vocations. Think of Mary in our gospel lesson this morning. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. For her, the word and the teaching of Christ was the one thing needful. It is the same with you as your confident faith leads you to seek communion with your Lord. Communion in that place where he has promised to be as your life is hidden with Christ in God. So now we come to the second part of the psalm. and This is where things kind of take a turn. We have that confident faith, which the first six verses speak of. We are redeemed children of God. And yet there's this major shift in the psalm, which begins in verse 7, where we see that there's another side to this faith coin. The salvation of God produces not only confident and courageous faith, but also humble faith, which David is going to show us. He shows us in these verses. David's prayer takes here? It seems like he's singing a completely different tune than before. At first, he was completely confident, even defiant in the face of his enemies, and now that they are closing in upon him, his prayer almost smacks of fear. Well, yes. They're at the gates. They're knocking on his door. They're breaking in. But this isn't the prayer of someone who is afraid that God will abandon him. It's the exact opposite. It's the humble prayer of someone who knows that there is nowhere else to go. There are no other options. There is no plan B. My only hope is that I should turn to the God of my salvation and earnestly plead with him that he will be faithful to his promise. This is a faith that clings to God that clings to his promises despite all the odds. Think about Jacob wrestling with God. It's that weird passage that we don't really know what to do with. Oh, you mean Jacob actually wrestled with God? This pre-incarnate Christ figure who's he's this strong man who showed up just to wrestle Jacob? Yeah, and you know what Jacob did? He grabbed a hold of him. He got him in I in, in uh, I don't know, a reverse Nelson or something like that. And he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. What is he talking about there? Is he talking about material prosperity or something like that? Some fanciful American idea of what of what blessing means? No, he's talking about that God would be faithful to his promise. This is the humble faith that we have. That despite all odds, we can cling to God and his promises. That we can say to him, Lord, you have made this promise to us. And we know that you will be faithful. We hold you to it. We hold you to it. What does it mean for you to seek the face of God? You might hear that phrase used in in popular Christianity. Um, Sometimes Christians mean different things by that, but are you supposed to see a vision? Uh, Is there some kind of magical spell by which you might conjure him to appear before you? Think of the the ironic blessing that you hear every Sunday, right? The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious unto you. What is that getting after? Well, um, for God to turn his face toward you means for him to be gracious and merciful to you. And the opposite is true. For God to turn his face away It's for him to forsake you. It's for him to be against you. Whenever Jesus bled and died on the cross, his father turned his face away. He turned his face away on his son on the cross. And who did he turn it towards? He turned it towards you so that he would never turn his face away from you. He is the God of your salvation. He is the one who will never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore, this is your prayer in times of trouble, in times of need, in in those times of hardship and grief that only you know about. You can petition the Lord. You can come before him in this humble faith as a beggar waiting to receive, confident that your Lord will hear you and will answer you, especially in your time of need. So we come to the end of the psalm. Verses 11 through 14 Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So in humble faith, David postures himself as a student, a student at the feet of his Lord. His enemies want him to stumble and fall. They are after his failure. They are after his throne. But it will not be so for David as long as he stays with the Lord. Again, our thoughts are drawn to Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus as she received his word. It's from his teaching that we hear of the good promises that he makes to us in Christ. Just like Abraham heard the word of promise from God in our Old Testament reading this morning. In Genesis 18, there was this promise of a Messiah through a son who was to be born of Sarah, Abraham's wife. If you look at verse 13 of our psalm this morning, the original language actually reads, something closer to this. It says, if I did not behold the goodness of God in the land of the living, blank, dot, dot, dot. If I did not behold the goodness of God in the land of the living, and it does not answer the question, it leaves it blank because the psalmist doesn't want to even consider what it would mean if he did not know the goodness of God, if he did not know God's promises. Therefore, 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 because of this, he can wait upon the Lord in humble faith, knowing that God will deliver on his promises in his good time. What does it mean for you to wait upon the Lord? We sang it, we repeated it this morning in our song, strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord, right? What does that mean? Does it mean tapping your foot? Does it mean checking your watch every few minutes to see what he's going to do and when he's going to show up? Actually, It looks a lot like Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. It looks a lot like David crying out to his God, seeking his presence above all else. Remember back to verse 4. The one thing that David wanted more than anything was to be in communion with God in the sanctuary, to be a recipient of his gracious word of promise, to know that God was near to him and would grant him victory over his enemies in spite of all appearances. And thus, brothers and sisters, we are instructed at the end of this psalm to wait, to wait upon him in this humble faith trust that God will bring about his good purposes In his own time. The Psalms are the prayers of the baptized. They are the prayers of the redeemed. As you've been redeemed through Jesus Christ, this Psalm 27 is your prayer. It's yours. These are your words that you may lift unto God at all times of trouble. And not just in times of trouble, but in good times as well. It is the prayer that expresses your confident faith that God will triumph over your enemies, those enemies we mentioned, sin, death, and the devil. And it's the prayer that calls upon God when you are gripped with fear. It's that humble faith that clings to God's promises. This faith that you have been given through the Holy Spirit means that you have access into this grace in which we now stand according to Romans chapter 5. That you have access to God through Christ. And God has shown his face upon you in the person of his son who gave his life for you so that you would always have communion with God. So that you may seek him above all else. This is the promise of the gospel. This is Jesus' word that he speaks to you as you sit at his feet. And it's on account of this promise that Jesus speaks to you, that you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.